People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 233 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to talk about game two of the NBA Finals. We will preview game three, and we'll also get into a little bit of off-season chatter based on the latest news and reports. Before we get to all of that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. It would really help us out. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. It's been a couple days, and I'm still very much puzzled how the Raptors lost game two, or rather, <laughs> how Golden State became victorious. How did they pull this one out? I have, I still have no clue. I really don't know either. I, I just feel like the old takes exposed account could make an entire lifetime's worth of retweets just based on reactions from the first half of game two when the Raptors were up like 12 or so and everyone was like, oh my God, the Raptors are just, beating the pants off the Warriors, and then you fast forward, you know, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden it's, oh, here we go. It's, they're the Warriors. It, it was just the most, it, it really was, to Golden State's credit, it was one of the most impressive victories I remember of, like, any team in recent memory. It was just such a yep. gutty win. Um, so, let, more, let's just get right into it. The, the big story, of course is the Raptors really looked like the better team in the first half, but uh, free throw yeah. trouble got to them, um, and I guess foul trouble as well. So the Warriors were with a, able to stay within striking distance. They cut the halftime lead to five, and then they come out 18-0 run in the third quarter, completely changed the momentum of the game. It, it's just, it's the Warriors. This is just what they do, and I don't know... You know, we were talking in the last episode about what was so impressive about Toronto in Game 1 was that every time the Warriors threatened to go on one of those runs, the Raptors stymied it with a momentum-shifting shot. That didn't happen in Game 2. Right. Yeah. I mean, they. I, I don't want to say the Raptors went cold necessarily, but they started chasing the wrong shots. I mean, yeah. they ended up... 11 for 38 from downtown. I think there were so many times during the actual game, not just in the in the second half, where they had wide open paths towards the basket and they just spotted up for three instead. Yeah. Which and we've we've talked about this on this podcast before 
have we gone too far in terms of like the three point shot? If it's if you have it and it's wide open and it's within the flow of like a a half court offense, like fine, it's it's perfect. But if you're running in transition, or if, if at least if you're running and, and you have like you know a, a four on two advantage, and you have a wide open path towards the rim, like why won't you take that? Like that's right. that's like giving up a hundred percent chance or a hundred percent field goal percentage shot. For, you know, yeah, I guess if you're wide open for three, it's like 50% shot for certain players or, or better. Mm-hmm. But even so, go get the layup. Go get the dunk. Right. I mean, cause I mean it, the expected value, even if you are a 50% shooter from three, would be 1.5 points. If you have a 100% chance of getting a wide open layup, that's two points. Two points is greater than 1.5. It's just math. Yeah, and two points is greater than you know a missed brick three that ha- ends up in a defensive rebound as well. So it, and and you know Pascal Siakam had one of those, Kawhi had one of those, and then I was kind of puzzled because we saw the big advantage Toronto had with Marcus All being aggressive, and here in game two, in 31 minutes he took seven shots and just looked like you know, slow and first round second round version of himself from the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, they, he needs to be, you know, a 15, 17 point scorer every single night out if they want to win the, the championship. Where was yeah. he? Well, I mean, I think that's a credit to Steve Kerr, who made the first big adjustment of the series after he started Jordan Bell in game one. He instead mm-hmm. brought DeMarcus Cousins into the starting lineup in game two. You know, we, we talked about last episode how they didn't really have a dependable source of offense other than Steph and Clay. Like, Dre can create off the dribble, and especially in Steph, Dre pick and rolls and, you know, do the four-on-three thing. But they didn't have much success running that in game one. So uh, Kerr brought Cousins into his starting lineup, and Cousins, in 28 minutes, had 11 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks. He was phenomenal. And a three. Because he can do that as well. Yeah. 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 So that's, I think that's the big reason that Marcus all didn't go off is because instead of playing an overmatched Jordan Bell, who has a lot of talent, but he's still somewhat raw and just doesn't have that much experience. Now you're going against a big bodied cousins who, yes, he's not as quick as he used to be. And he was like lateral quickness was never his selling point in the first place. But he's right. not going to get backed down by Marcus All. I agree with that. But even so, six points in 31 minutes, I don't care yeah. who it is. Like, he, it's still Marcus All. To some extent, he needs to produce more. Yeah. I mean, this is a $25 million a year player. Um, <laughs> and, and, I mean, to, I, I've been against Mark just taking a bunch of threes when they're not really in rhythm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a problem if he seeks out the three when it makes sense. And drawing Boogie away from the. Uh, from the basket is only an added incentive for Kawhi or Fred Van Vliet to attack the rim. I mean, I don't know. I, I want to see him get established early, Gasol, that is, in Game yeah. 3 in, in Oracle. I think that's just crucial for the Raptors' survival at this point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and kudos to Kyle Lowry. I know he didn't have a great shooting game, like 4 of 11, but I felt he was more in control of the game uh, in Game 2. Mm. Because, he, yeah, I mean... Granted, they went into a slump, but he seemed more engaged. Like, he seemed more willing to take shots. And I think the the aggressive Kyle Lowry is really... He's a page-turner. 
He's one of those mm-hmm. guys who, when he goes off, and he really establishes himself in the game, he can he can turn one like he can turn one on his on himself. And it didn't happen in game two, but I think he's basically starting to wake up a little bit. And I think yeah. in game three, he's going to come out just firing. Well. I, he needs to be smarter on defense because he's picked up a lot of cheap fouls, and the the yes. sixth one in particular on Cousins was under his own basket. It was just a dumb attempt to come up with a steal that more likely than not is going to end poorly for you. Mm. That's really my and he was in foul trouble in game one too. Like he needs to be a lot smarter on that end, especially knowing Scott Foster and Tony Brothers were the refs in game two. You just immediately have to assume you're going to get at least two cheap fouls and possibly a technical. And when was it he was fouled out? There was like two, three minutes left? There was like quite a bit of time left on the clock. Yeah. Was it almost four? Okay. I think so. Yeah. It was... That makes it even worse, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not great. Um, Another story is, of course, Pascal Siakam, who was a monster in game one, Comes crashing back to earth in game two. 12 points on 5 of 18 shooting. I think this is basically just... The game one was going to be the best game he plays in the finals. Draymond Green, after game one, said, basically, I need to do better. I will. I'm worried I'll limit him in transition. They figured it out. I, I don't know that Pascal is going to be that inefficient moving forward, but... I do think we've seen the best game from Pascal Siakam that we're going to see for the rest of this series. Yeah, I, I agree on both counts. Like the, the the true value of true production of, of Siakam, at least in this series, will be somewhere in the middle of game one and game two. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like you said, he's not going to shoot 5 of 18. Like, he's not a 28% player by any stretch. He just needs to be smarter about his shot selections, not force it. And, and you know, to I mean, to our point as well, as we talked about on the last podcast, he hit a lot of weird shots in game one. And they were yeah. impressive as hell. Yeah. But some of them were just, I mean, those were like one in a hundred, right? So I think yeah. he just needs to dial down the butterflies or whatever it's that's going on and just play a little bit more under control. And the thing with, with Pascal is he's a great playmaker. And I kind of want him to see, I want to see him lay off the shot attempts just a little bit and just engage more as a playmaker. Of course, if the defense rotates in a manner where it makes sense for Pascal to shoot, like go for it, obviously. But mm-hmm. I think it could be intriguing to see like him going off on a, on a playmaking ability instead of, of scoring because Kawhi is feeling it. Like he's yeah. been hot. He's basically getting to the line whenever he wants. He's rebounding, he's scoring. I mean, he's, he's been outstanding. And if you can somehow get points out of him where he doesn't have to milk the clock by dribbling, because he's, he's been doing that a lot this series, I don't think it's it's necessarily by design. So mm-hmm. if you can get him into some catch-and-shoot situations or have him come off a couple of screens and he maybe have to pound the ball once or twice and then go up strong, I think that will conserve energy on his part as well. So I want to see Kawhi a little bit more off-ball through the, the hands of Siakam. Yeah. I, I think that would be a good adjustment. We'll talk game three in a second here. The question I have coming out of game two, especially given the injury issues that popped up for Golden State, you know, Iguodala leaves the game early before halftime because he gets popped on a Mark mm. Gasol screen. He does come back in the second half, but he's also got the calf injury that he's been dealing with for a couple rounds now. Um, mm. Clay Thompson leaves in the fourth quarter with a hamstring injury. 
Kevon Looney leaves in the, I believe, the first half with a what turns out to be a shoulder slash collarbone injury. He does not on a Kawhi drive. Yeah, yeah, he does not return at all. So part of me is wondering how the Raptors recover from this one emotionally. It it, it feels very much like Rockets Game Five, Rockets Warriors Game Five, or even Sixers Raptors Game Four, where. The underdog team had such an opportunity to drive a real nail into a coffin and really make, you know, the the Rockets could have gone up 3-2 going back home in game six, knowing Kevin Durant's out there. The Sixers could have gone up 3-1 despite Joel Embiid having Ebola or whatever the hell he came down with in the second game, (laughs) in the second part of that series. Is that racist? Um, no, it's just <laughs> he he suddenly went from healthy to dying. It, it was just a very quick transition for him. Yeah. Um, has has it, anybody checked up on Joel Embiid since? Is he yeah, alive? He, yeah, he's doing well. He he was nice. healthy by the end of the series. He was fine. Just okay, he just gave Swarm five where he died. But <laughs> this one, you know, if you're the Raptors, you have a chance to go up two zero. Yeah. KD is still not certain to return for Game Three. Looney is now out indefinitely. Clay might miss game three. Like, you could have really put enormous pressure on the Warriors, and instead you let the rope slip. So I wonder if the Raptors end up losing this series, if that third-quarter run is going to be why. No. I mean, yeah, well, I don't I don't think necessarily... I was actually going to answer to a different question in terms of, like, their, their mental state. I don't mm. think they're concerned. Like yeah, this might end up being a a major change in the, in the overall series. I mean yeah, I mean the, the, they lost game two because of it. Obviously, that's gonna have ramifications. But I don't think mentally, it'll be anything. This is a very experienced team. Kawhi's a you know a literal robot. Danny Green's <laughs> been there before. Marcus Saul is a veteran. Kyle Lowry is a veteran. Pascal mm-hmm. seems to just be playing on raw enthusiasm. Fred Van Vliet has delivered. He seems very much under control this series. Serge Ibaka's been there. Norman Powell also seems to be playing under control. I don't think I don't think this Raptors team is one of those teams that regrets anything. I I, I see. I think they're the one of those teams who are just able to flip the page and flip the script, whatever you want to say, after a game that's gone poorly and gone. Oh well, screw it. Let's move on to the next one. So I think going into Game Three, that will just be their MO as per usual. I think it will come in and, and have tremendous confidence. But you're absolutely right. They did it was a wasted opportunity. I'm not I'm not finding that at all. Definitely. Whether it's gonna cost them the series, time will tell. But I don't think they're sitting right now going, oh damn it, we should have and should have. I I don't think they think that way at all. I don't think they're wired that way. I think they're just kind of game planning for game three and going from there. Yeah. Hey, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. 
There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Yeah, so let's just go right into Game 3 then, because I think if not for the injuries, I would be worried for Mm -hmm. their mental state. But, as I said, Looney is now out. The Warriors assume he cannot return for the rest of the finals. Thompson was there is a video of him monday where he's like walking fine through an airport or something so yeah. an mri uh, came back he does have a hamstring strain he is questionable for game three status tbd kevin durant also status tbd still working his way back from a calf strain chris haynes of yahoo uh, before game two reported that he could be back by game three but more realistically is looking like game four so more, this is going to sound crazy, but I have to ask it. Okay. If Durant is out for game three and you're the Warriors, do you sit Clay Thompson knowing that if he, if he aggravates that hamstring, he's probably done for the finals? Yeah, I so knew that. So do you sit Clay Thompson? Yeah. So do you sit him knowing that you're probably punting on game three? But then knowing in game four, you're probably going to be as full strength as you are for the rest of the finals. So, I mean, unless you have concerns about future ramifications in terms of, you know, the season afterwards. No, you play him. It's the finals, obviously. And then you just kind of force him to stay on the perimeter and just jack up jump shots instead. <laughs> like, don't put the ball in the deck, Clay. Don't yeah. don't go for a layup, Clay. You can't handle it right now. Just shoot. I mean, that's that's uh, yeah. An altered version of Clay in Game Three will be fine. Uh, but no, if you sit him, that's that's losing a home court advantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tricky just because hamstring injuries are so tough to predict, and we don't know the degree of severity of this one, presumably grade one, or else he definitely would not be playing in game three. Right. Because um, remember, Chris Paul strained his hamstring at the end of game five in the conference finals last year, could not suit up for game six or seven. Hamstrings are really tricky, and if you aggravate them, they it, you're done. Like you're, it's, you're, yep. he, he is going to be out for the entire finals if, he, if that injury gets worse. So that is looming over their head. I'm with you in that if he says he can go, he can go. But I don't know. You, I feel like you have to hide him defensively. I'm not concerned about him as much offensively. But they've been using him on Kawhi to some degree. And I don't think you can do mm-hmm. that anymore. I don't think you can have him chase Kawhi around. So maybe you just have to hide him on Danny Green the whole time. And figure out a different solution against Kawhi. Maybe it's just... Dre and Iggy shoulder that responsibility entirely, but it does limit the Warriors' defensive options, I think, and I think that's a big thing to monitor heading into Game 3 is how they adjust, If even if Clay does play, how they adjust defensively to compensate for that injury. Yeah, no, for sure. If he's by any means limited in terms of his uh, lateral movement, you know they're gonna put Danny Green in as a screener, assuming you know Clay guards Danny, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be probably Kawhi on the ball. They would love that mismatch, or Kyle yeah. even just because of the speed advantage, uh, and and that would obviously be difficult for the Warriors to overcome. 
But if at, at the same time, if on the other end, Clay is unaffected and he can still, you know, pop for three threes a quarter because it's Clay, then you have to weigh it. Then you simply have mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, are we are we just gambling with this because we know that we're going to get offensive production on the other end? Are we taking the almost certain amount of points that we're going to get and then risk that we may be put in awkward positions defensively? Or do we just put him do we put him on the shelf for a game and just go and play balls out defense but have virtually no scores outside of Steph <laughs> right that's I mean that's that's a difficult one because you know I, I get that Dre has played very very well and I do think that he's shown that he can take a little bit more shots and be effective with it mm-hmm. but are you I mean if it's only Steph and Draymond as the primary scores I know you know, uh, Demarcus is in there as well, but he's still somewhat limited right now. Right. Like, if Draymond is your second option, like you can shut that down. Yeah, that is that is shut downable. <laughs> I want to say. Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, I I wonder even offensively, you know, Clay is just such a um, rhythm driven guy, and he just based on you know his practice habits, he's very much set in his ways in terms of his shooting stroke i wonder if that hamstring injury affects him offensively too like maybe just having that little pull when you're rising up is going to affect him in ways that we can't measure in terms of you know we we won't be able to tell but yeah i i can't help but wonder how that's going to affect him moving forward. And I feel like it's probably the biggest storyline hanging over game three, assuming Kevin Durant doesn't play, is just how limited is Clay on both ends of the court and what can they get out of him. But what what would you do? Man, I mean, I almost lean toward resting him, but that's just because I'm so scared of hamstring injuries. Just no, I get it. it. I mean, because, yeah. because if... Like, God forbid he plays and hurts it more, he's presumably done for the finals, or most likely would be out for the rest of the finals. So then, yeah, you have KD coming back in Game 4, hopefully, but you still have the same problem that you had in Games 1 and 2, where you're down one of your three primary scorers. And can Quinn Cook come in off the bench, or can Alfonso McKinney come in off the bench and fill Clay's spot? Sure. Cook's a good shooter. McKinney's a good defender. Those guys will cover for Clay on one end of the court, but I would think the Raptors will target Quinn Cook relentlessly in terms mm-hmm. of you know going at, going after him on mismasters on offense. Or for McKinney, I think they'll just leave him wide open and right. say, "Okay, prove it. Like hit a couple shots before we worry about guarding you. You're not Clay Thompson." So, but I know it sounds crazy because it's a a game of the finals and as you said if they lose one of the next two they give home court advantage right back so it's a really tough spot for steve kerr here yeah i think it is because i mean i know that we expect steph curry to do superhero things and and he's totally capable of that but what type of performance would that take from him to pull out a win in game three against a very healthy raptors team i mean and and if you're down clay you're down kd you know, Demarcus Cousins is still somewhat physically lim- uh, limited. Iggy is not entirely healthy. I right. mean, Kevon Looney is not there. Sean Livingston is going to retire, so he's feeling the aches on the body <laughs> as well. Yeah. So I mean, 
what type of performance are we looking for here? That it, it, it would have to be an all-timer, in my opinion, for yeah. the Warriors to even get a damn chance in Game 3 if those guys are out. Jonas Jerebko, secret weapon. Yeah, well, he is Swedish. I'll give him that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I think it would come down to Boogie at that point. I, I think he would have to be that secondary scoring option, and you'd probably have to get 20 or 25 out of, out of him, but the shot volume might be there if you're replacing... I mean, Clay took... Mm-hmm. What, how many... Clay was there... I mean, he's the only reason they stayed in that game in the first half. Steph was terrible. And he. I guess yeah. he was dealing with dehydration, but, you know, he missed his first six shots looked very out of it went back to the locker room in the first half clay was scorching hot early i think he had like at least 12 or 13 in the first quarter alone finished with 25 in only 32 minutes but yeah he took 17 shots on the night so maybe you give you know distribute those among curry draymond and and demarcus and Curry takes 25 or so, Dre takes 15, DeMarcus takes 15. I think that's kind of what you would have to go for if Clay does sit this game out. Agreed. Then it's just going to be a problem if DeMarcus like fouls out in 30 minutes. Yeah. Right? And he had like, he had 5 fouls in 28 minutes in t- game 2. So yeah, just under 28 minutes. That's kind of what I'm alluding to. I mean, yeah. because he's a little bit slower now after the injury, which, again, it's it's totally understandable. I'm not blaming Boogie for anything here, but he's becoming a little bit slower. It's an Achilles tear, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. He is going to play defense more so with his hands now than he did before, and that's always a bad recipe for you know picking up fouls, uh, or, or rather a good recipe to, to pick up fouls and a bad recipe for effective defense. Yeah. Uh, but but those are that's that's his game plan right now. That's what he has to do because he can't move his feet that quickly. So Kawhi and Clay and Pascal and Van Vliet, they will blow by him, and the one chance he has is to just go grab something, and <laughs> right. that's gonna mean fouls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Demarcus, uh, Nikias Duncan, friend of the podcast, had a really good piece up about him on the basketball writers today just about how much golden state is going to rely on him moving forward so i'd suggest you guys all check that out and speaking of the basketball writers mort are you tired of clickbait ads pop-up videos talking head hyperbole big market bias and data selling are you tired of soap operas wild speculation and unnamed sources tired of padding the stats of ceos and shareholders while your favorite content creators get paid pennies for their work at bballwriters.com they are too that's why they created the Basketball Writers. At bballwriters.com, they concentrate on just the game and everything they love about it. NBA, WNBA, EuroLeague, Fantasy Basketball, The Draft, and many more corners of the Hoops universe they're soon to explore. All in one place on a blazingly fast, clean site that lets you choose which writer to directly support while still enjoying all the content from their whole team. Elevate the conversation, elevate the game. They'll see you at bballwriters.com, and don't forget to enter the code the NBA pod for 10% off your annual monthly or daily subscription. That's the NBA pod for 10% off. You can see Mort's mock draft that just went up there. He did not give... Which you are in love with. He did not give the Sixers any of Ty Jerome, Carson Edwards, or Ty Bull, even though all three of them were still on the board. So this is mm-hmm. Mort's final episode of the NBA pod. I am taking applications for a new co-host now. <laughs> 
I may or may not have been affected by the fact that it would greatly annoy you if I yeah. didn't pick any one of those guys. Yeah, it's it succeeded. Good job. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let's go back to game three for a second. So, aside from the Clay storyline and KD, which are obviously you know big issues moving forward, Looney being out is also a big deal. He was their best big mm-hmm. man in game one. He did not play all that much in game two because he got hurt early, but he did play 10 minutes before he went out. Afterward, Andrew Bogut played seven minutes, got three lob dunks, which were just increasingly demoralizing because i think a couple of those came in that 18-0 run jordan bell played nine seconds drevko played six minutes what do you think the warriors do you know again looney we are assuming he is out for the rest of the finals what do you think they do behind demarcus cousins so i kind of want to see them go small with alfonso mckinney oh okay i mean he used to be a four in the g league Mm-hmm. So it's not a major stretch to ask him to play off a position that he knows well. I mm-hmm. get that he's not going to... I mean, he's he's a decent defender as a forward. So as a center, it would, he would have to stretch himself a little bit thinner. But, I mean, positioning-wise, he should be okay. He would be able to take centers like Marcus All away from the basket, or Serge Ibaka for that matter. So mm-hmm. he would remove a defender from the paint, theoretically at least. And maybe you just swing Sean Livingston up a position to take some of McKinney's minutes. I mean, Sean's got the length. Jonas Repko is, is, is there as well. Maybe even because you're so low on bodies, assuming Clay doesn't play as well, you give Jacob Evans a run. I don't know. You need something. Yeah, because yeah, I don't necessarily think Bogut is going to continue staying open for lob dunks the entire time. But Correct. That's- that yeah. said, I, I do think the Raptors may need to change their defensive scheme, depending on what happens with Clay, of course. But, you know, we saw them in the fourth quarter of game two, once Clay went out, they went to a box and one against Steph Curry, which most people haven't seen since middle school. Um, but I think, you know, their, their traditional defense against this Warriors team so far has been trapping Clay or trapping Steph, sorry, way up almost toward half court. But the Warriors are taking advantage of that because you've got two guys so far up. And that's, you know, Steph is also, I think, intentionally trying to hang out further up the court versus like right at the three point line because that takes two guys out of the play. And suddenly you have a four on three. You have another guy positioned right at the three point line as a passing hub. And then you've got a three on two, basically. So I do wonder if, you know, the the Warriors have gotten a lot of success out of those type of backdoor cuts and, you know, just like pinball passes into open dunks, basically. I do wonder if the Raptors need to change something depending on whether Clay and KD are there um, just to kind of avoid that and mitigate the damage, especially that these backup bigs can do. Because in theory... Andrew Bogut should not be able to to not get open for three lob dunks in a game. Yeah, they seem to be prioritizing targets as they should, yeah. but they're just leaving that back door open. Um, right. Yeah, I, I I honestly don't know what the answer is because, like you said, when Steph is th- that that high up and you have playmakers who are who are all willing, very willing passers, and I mean you have 
Draymond, you have Iggy, uh, DeMarcus can make a pass. He's actually a very good passer. You have Quinn Cook who's willing to give up the ball. Sean Livingston is willing to give up the ball. Even Andrew Bogut in his limited minutes, even though he's obviously uh, the alley-oop target, like he's a fundamentally sound passer in his own right. So you have all these bodies who, when the primary ball handler gives up the ball, they can all make plays. They can yeah. all do something with the basketball. And the Raptors are trying to scramble and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we stop the final pass? But I mean, the Warriors are just so adept at moving the ball. And and honestly, I don't think the Raptors necessarily play bad defense on uh, on Andrew Bogut. It was just a matter of them trying to prioritize something else. And then, right. yeah, three times it went wrong. It it happens. Um, but yeah, they, they will need to guard the basket a little bit better, especially off the ball. Yeah. For sure. And and the question I have for the Raptors offensively is in the second half, they switched Dre onto Kyle Lowry right at at the start of the third quarter. And whether that's the cause of the Raptors suddenly going cold and the Warriors going on an 18-0 run or it was just, I don't want to say it's necessarily cause and effect or it might just be these two things happened at the same time, but maybe they weren't related at all. Either way, how do you think the Raptors need to adjust if they do stick Dre on Lowry more moving forward. Screens, 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 and screens. Um, <laughs> for for many different reasons. Not only will it attempt to get Kyle more open and, and maybe even give him give him a pathway to the lane, but he just hitting Draymond essentially through a mm-hmm. wide variety of screens. That's gonna hurt that body eventually, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's gonna wear him down. And he's gonna go to the bench, and maybe he'll get screened in a different way, and he won't like it, and he'll yell, and he'll scream, and maybe that's two techs. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There, there are just some benefits there. What I do want to see the Raptors do a little bit more of, with, and this kind of comes into play. I want to see them do uh, the same thing as the Sacramento Kings have done all year long, and that is, regardless of you know the opponent scoring a basket or missing a shot. They just sprint up the damn court. Like, it's yeah. they're ridiculously fast moving up and down the court. The Raptors, I get that Kyle is is, get, is getting older, and I know that Marcus All is no spring chicken either, but they need to have a little more spring in their step. They need mm-hmm. to just kind of rush it up a little bit. We yeah. saw in in both game one and game two that Dre had yes. some some one of those, you know, some, some basically coast-to-coast plays. Whether right. he scored or assisted on them, he just... The court was just so wide open for him because he just yeah. rushed. He rushed his way through, and oh, lo and behold, there was a hole, and he was able to generate something out of it. The Raptors, when they go slow, they just kind of forget that they can create something just by the, off their quickness. I mean, Draymond, he's quick, but he's not Kyle Lowry quick, not on, you know, if you judging after 94 feet. So if that switch happens or, or if Dre is on Kyle, I just want to see them run. Just yeah. and set a screen like near half court or in their own backcourt, whatever. Just get him open early and get him some traction. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what Dre just killed the Trailblazers on. I mean, there were a couple games early on in that series where that was their only dependable source of offense, but it kept them in mm-hmm. the game long enough for them to then ultimately come back later. So, yes, I, I think that's critical for the Raptors. Gasol did get called for a couple moving screens in game two, which he needs to be careful of moving forward. But I agree. We saw how impactful one of his screens was to Iggy. I thought, 
I thought Iggy was done. I thought he had a concussion. I thought he was out for the game. For yeah, I you know Iggy is an Iron Man, so he came back and survived that. But yeah, I think <laughs> Big Spain laying the pain is the way to go if you're the the Raptors moving forward. Yeah. Um, so more we're probably not going to have a chance to record between games three and game four. So let's assume let's assume Clay plays game three. KD does not. Hopefully Clay and KD both play game four. What's your prediction going back to Toronto? 2-2. Two, two. I like it. Okay, so who yep. wins game... Raptors win game three, Warriors win game four? Yeah, that's my thinking. Yeah, but I think so too. But if... if yeah, but I mean, again, if it really depends on Clay Because if right. he's limited, which is what really what we're assuming for game three... You know that's that's where they get their advantage, the Raptors. But if he's yep. like just completely healthy and all well, and it's just like, oh, it was bad for a day. Now I'm good, <laughs> and I'm gonna drop thirty seven on you. <laughs> right. Then it's a different game. Um, right. And I kind of like it. I like the not knowing part because remember the last year, where yeah. was the excitement there? I mean, yeah. it was just like zip immediately, and everyone knew it. This this is intriguing. Like going into a game and not really having a specific favorite, I like it. Yeah, yeah. No, the, these finals have been so fun so far. And I mean, even I said it earlier in the first half, everyone thought the Raptors were running away with it, and the Warriors came back. It it was just a really entertaining game. You know, the the Raptors mm-hmm. cut it to two with that Danny Green three with thirty seconds left. They they have enough time. They come up with one stop. They'll you know they'll be able to run it out. Steph Curry throws a bad pass. Kawhi Leonard almost intercepts it. Iggy hits a big three and clinches the game. Like that game was yeah. very much up in the air throughout all of the second half, which was just it, it's just highly entertaining basketball. It's very refreshing after watching. Really, yeah, it is because I seem to remember a, vis, a, a certain uh, Mr. Toporek saying, "Oh, the NBA would." Would, would would suffer low ratings because the boring old Kawhi Leonard would would be the the headliner. Oh, so you didn't see that they had the worst rating, the worst U.S. ratings in like a decade? Wow, this is a global game now, Brian. I'm I not know. too know, worried about the domestic. U.S. advertisers don't care about that. I don't think. I actually didn't see that. It was yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't Damn factor it. Canadian ratings in, but yes, it was. Brutally low ratings, U.S. market. I, I thought I had you for a second. Fine, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll withdraw. I stand <laughs> corrected. Just... I didn't even see that. I was actually, I was actually googling NBA ratings. <laughs> Apparently, it doesn't show up. Okay, fair I'm enough. Glad you fell into that bear trap. Good job. <laughs> yep, yep. My own, my own. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. 
You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. All right, wait, let's turn our attention to some off-season chatter because Sham Sharania of The Athletic just dropped a big report today, kind of like a news dump. Um, th- it, no surprise to anyone, the Pelicans have now started to listen to offers on Anthony Davis. You know, David Griffin was trying to convince but it's Davis. breaking, Brian. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, he, he was trying to convince Davis to stay in New Orleans, and especially after they won the lottery and get Zion and mm-hmm. pitch them on a Zion, Brow, Drew Holiday, Big Three. But it seems like Davis still wants out. So there aren't any big developments in terms of who's in the lead, who's offered what. We'll obviously keep an eye on that moving forward. But basically the only news is they are listening to offers this is going to heat up as we get closer to the draft, closer to free agency. Breaking Stay news. Stay tuned. Pels are yeah. listening to offers. <laughs> right. Breaking news. David Griffin picks up his telephone. Yep. <laughs> right. So we're not going to get into that today. I think the one thing that caught my eye, not in a surprising way, but just in a kind of sent my gears turning way, was he mentioned mm-hmm. the Sacramento Kings have been prioritizing a center in the free agent marketplace. Obviously, they have Willie Cauley-Stein, who is a restricted free agent, but that report seems to suggest that Willie Cauley-Stein is not in their immediate plans or would be more of a backup if their top plan goes awry. The big name on the center free agent market, of course, is Nikola Vucevic. Mort, how do you think Vooch would fit with the Kings if that's the guy they're going to go after? Well, first of all, since you didn't do it, I need to pluck my my Sacramento piece for Forbes, where I actually oh. go into their finances and mention Co- uh, Willie Cauley Stein and and his particular situation with the Kings. But to answer your question, obviously, Vooch would be great. Uh, defensively, not so. Offensively, he would fit well, I think, especially in the half court situation. So, just by sheer coincidence, I brought up the Kings five or seven minutes ago, and yeah. they they love to run. They really love to run. Vooch is not as active a runner as Willie Cauley-Stein, and I think that mm-hmm. matters. But he does come with a certain benefit in half-court offense situations because you can have him pass from the three-point line, from the elbow, from the post. He can pass from wherever he is on the court. He's a great, great passer. Maybe that unlocks certain things for De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox and Buddy Heald. Or maybe they just need to do what they did this year and run like hell and make sure that Willie Cauley-Stein is, is one of those guys that just you know, runs in transition and, and is a constant lob threat. I don't know. It, it, I think there are definitely some, some strategic uh, things they need to consider. But, I mean, let's also be honest about something here. It is extremely difficult right now to project anything in terms of the Kings' offense when they don't even know if their current head coach will be coaching them at the start of the season. That is true. That is that is very true. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the question, like Vooch obviously is a great player. The question is the price point. Like if they have right. to offer him a four-year max to get him there, I don't feel great about that. Yeah, I hate that. 
I would hate that. Yeah. But so what where would you feel okay? So back in March, I think, maybe maybe it was February, we, you and I had a podcast where we actually made like a an indirect free agents uh free agency a preview kind of thing and we one of the subjects we had up was Vooch and you and I uh-huh. pretty much agreed that he was worth approximately 20 million a year but that mm-hmm. was also kind of his you know that the, the 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 ceiling of it like that's the fu- the further you should you should go around the 20 million mark but even so that would be okay i i think i'm still there i think mm-hmm. he's good enough for 20 million the thing is he is 29 right or 28, uh, 28 I think he's about I to be, and then be 29 at the start of the season. Yeah, that sounds right. All right. So do you go the full four? I don't know. I mean, maybe you have one bad year at the end of it. But mm-hmm. if it's the last one, I live with it and I move forward with it because I can I can survive one bad year. Yeah. But I don't want to go into a Chris Ball situation where three out <laughs> no. of the four years are going to suck. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... I, I agree that like I would feel if he gets four years eighty million, I feel great about that. The problem is mm-hmm. he's not gonna get four years eighty million. He's gonna get a lot more than that, just because as we've been talking about for months now, there aren't a high supply of superstar free agents available, and we don't know if some of these guys resign with their current teams. That's only gonna thin the market more. Vooch is the top free agent center on the market as of now. I mean, there are guys who could really make things interesting. Like, I don't think Hassan Whiteside, there's any chance he turns down his player option. I would be shocked. I know he hates his role in Miami and he's super frustrated, but he's also going to earn $27 million and he is not going to. Yeah. I, I think he would be lucky to get $10 million on the open market, frankly. Um, oh, for sure. Like, number 21 is staying in Miami for a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al Horford and Marcus. Sorry, Gasol. Heat fans. Yeah, Al Horford and Marcus Gasol are a little bit more interesting, just because both of those guys, they have no reason to leave their current teams. They're both earning a crap ton of money that they would not match on the open market. But maybe they want to lock in like a three-year deal that's basically their last chance to get a big money deal. Like maybe Horford right. turns down his thirty million to get a three-year, 50 or $60 million deal. But again, I don't know why the Kings would be his choice. I think he would just stay in Boston and do that. And same deal with Gasol. I feel like especially if Kawhi comes back, he's either going to just take his player option and see what Kawhi, you know, unless Kawhi signs for... Well, he has to make the player option decision before he finds out about Kawhi even. So, um, now, now, hang on a minute. Now, hang on. Why does that only apply to Gasol? Because... If if Kyrie Irving leaves in Boston, mm-hmm. shouldn't that also potentially or couldn't that potentially affect Al Horford's decision? Yeah, I mean the problem is for both of those guys, they have to pick up their options by the end of June, and then free agency, of course, doesn't start until now June thirtieth. But you know, essentially, and nobody 1st. talks before that, of course. Right. Well, yeah. So they, if they're turning it down, they probably yeah. have some pretty good intel in terms of whether Kyrie and Kawhi are going to stay. But I think Horford would probably... You could probably talk him into staying more easily than Gasol just Gasol. because 
they still will have Tatum, Brown, Smart, Hayward. Like they still have the foundation of a good team. They might not be a championship contender, but like right. they should still be a 45-50 win team even without Kyrie. I think if Kawhi leaves, there you know, we talked about this already. Masai Ujiri is probably just going to start tearing down the roster, trading whoever for pieces. So Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka would all be on expiring contracts at that point. You got to figure all three are trade bait. Does Marcus all want to deal with that possibility? I don't know, but I, I think the most likely option is both of those guys opt in or or resign with their current teams. Jonas Valanciunas is the one guy who's interesting because he's earning. He has a seventeen point six million dollar player option. He has come out and said he hasn't made a decision either way. He wants to see what the Grizzlies do. They still don't have a head coach, so he wants to see who they hire. And he wants to see what's up with Mike Conley, um, who, you know, it seems like he is on his way out of Memphis just because the Grizzlies have the number two pick. They will probably use that number two pick on John Morant, who plays the same position as Conley. So the question is, do they trade Conley on draft night or do they wait until that first wave of free agency dies down and then they can try to milk the Lakers and the Knicks or whoever else missed out on their top free agent target, try to get them to give up more from desperation. So Valanchunas is like the only guy I think who could realistically opt out and really juice the market. But yeah, I I almost wonder if they're better off. Like if, if the options are maybe you don't need to give Vooch a full max, but maybe he's not willing to sell for less than like four years, 120 million. Are you better, <laughs> right? I mean, I think that's probably where we're talking. Are you better off going for more of a stopgap guy, like a Robin Lopez, a Dwayne Dedman, an Aaron Or a Willie Cauley-Stein, who already knows your system. Right, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, depending on what he gets in free agency, but maybe he's not going to get that much. I have no idea. I don't think he gets, like, enough. I, I, I don't think he gets a lot. And yeah. I think he's definitely affordable to, to hang around. And, yeah. I mean, he can run. And I also, I just want to point something out here. I know that, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein is not necessarily um, beloved in Sacramento, or at least from within the Kings organization. But the dude is a wonderful passer from mm-hmm. the center position. Yeah. Like, he has a very positive uh, assist-to-turnover ratio, which I also touched about. In the article, I mean, he can make passes, and he his per every assist he made, it was to two point three points were gained every assist. So that mm-hmm. means he's finding shooters as well, which is crucial for a center. And he runs the floor very very hard. So whenever he is just tumbling down the floor, every defense has to take account for oh okay we need to pick this guy up otherwise it's an alley you play. I think yeah. he brings more to the table than what meets the eye. And if you can get him for, I don't know, $10 million a year, $12 million yeah. a year even, mm-hmm. maybe even less than that, because maybe he's so underrated, you can get him for a steal, like $8 million. If you do that, you say thank you, and you move along. That's right. fine. Yeah, I mean, I wonder at that point if he just takes the qualifying offer. Like if, if the Kings don't 
sign an outside center and there's no interest in anyone else signing him to a big offer sheet if he's just like screw it i'll take one year qualifying offer become a ufa next year and maybe that helps just because we've seen it in the past with restricted free agency once i mean teams can't even sign these guys until an offer sheet until the moratorium is over on july 6th Mm -hmm. then your cap space is tied up for 48 hours it's just not a palatable way to spend cap space a lot of the time unless you're pretty sure that that you're going to land that guy and that he's your top target which i would be surprised if anyone feels that way about willie collie stein maybe i'm wrong but right so it, it wouldn't shock me at all if his market is very tepid for those reasons and maybe they can get him on a discount um I know Aaron But what Brucey, about the Maryland Snow Elk example, though? Yeah, see, I was about to go into that. Um, oh. <laughs> well, oh, the example. Well, I was just going to say, I know Aaron Bruski of HoopBall.com. It's a fantasy basketball website. He's been jonesing for Rashawn Holmes for a while now. But I do wonder if another former Philly center, Maryland Snowell, if you got him for half of the price or something of a Willie Colley Stein, would that be better than just taking Collie Stein. I don't know. I mean, maybe you can even afford both for a year. Yeah, I wouldn't hate true. that. Yeah. But the thing, what when I what I alluded to in terms of Noel, like he took the qualifying offer expecting yep. a large sum of money. He was offered what 70? 70 million? million. Yep. He turned that down and so far he's lived off a very uh Minimum you know, it's still we're still t- talking in the millions of dollars, so I don't want to <laughs> say poor deals, but yeah. obviously he's not made it as well as he thought he would. And yeah. I, I think for a center in this day and age, and it's I mean Willie Collins Stein, I mean still not shooting threes in that sense. So maybe he looks at it and goes, "Well, that's this is the best I can get. Look at the price on on free agent centers in the last couple of years. Maybe I'll just stick with eight million a year because." Eight million speeds going into free agency, getting lowballed for three or four years, and you have to change teams every single year, just fighting for a contract. Maybe yeah. he takes the security. I mean, I think in today's day and age, when you are a center who can't shoot necessarily, you really have to factor that in. Yeah, for sure. What did because Nurkic signed for four years, forty two last year? I want to say. Mm, yeah, or I think it was years. something along. Four years, yeah. 48, it looks like. Is and, it 48? So that's 12 a year. Yeah, and only $4 million of the last year was guaranteed. Yeah, see? Yeah. So I don't think there's any way Willie Cauley-Stein makes more than Nurkic, or he shouldn't. I oh, mean, agreed. So, yeah, that's probably the ceiling right there, and I bet when the Kings are in negotiations, that's the first printout they hand him is, here is Yusuf Nurkic's contract. This is the absolute dead most we are willing to give you. We're going to negotiate start, down from there. Yeah, start with four years, 28, move up to like max four years, 35, 32, yeah. 35. Yeah. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? It's what Felicio got a couple of years ago. But I mean, that was just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance uh okay let's hit a couple other nuggets from Sharadia's report and then we, of course it wouldn't be an episode in the offseason if we didn't talk about the lakers briefly too um <sighs> dwayne deadman who i feel like every fan base on nba twitter has already penciled in as their backup center Sharadia reported the atlanta yeah. hawks have pot- interest in potentially re-signing him to a balloon one-year deal or a shorter term contract like the two-year 14 million deal he signed in 2017. Yep. I hate the Hawks. I hate that they're well-managed now because that would be great. That's great smart. Use, yep. Yeah, great use of cap space. He also said they could be a contract, or a destination for contract dumps once again. Kudos. Like, I have, I have nothing bad to say about the Hawks. They're just... Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I've been saying. I, I want them to, you know, spend another year being in asset accusation mode. So for sure, yeah, yeah. and they, they have the two top ten picks. We'll see what they do with them if they keep them as is, trade them. It sounds like uh, I think it was Jonathan Gavoni today who released the new like Intel based scouting stuff that says some teams have been in conversations with the Hawks for the number ten pick. So it seems like that one of those two may be on the move. But if I'm the Hawks, I just keep those two picks. We talked about it yeah. last time too. Um, yeah. Yep. Marcus Morris will apparently have strong interest as a second-tier free agent with teams such as the Kings, Knicks, Lakers, Clippers, and the Bulls expected to be in pursuit. Mm -hmm. How much would you be willing to give Marcus Morris in free agency? Oh, man. So so he's a switchable wing who can actually play a bit of center and he can shoot. So he's absolutely valuable, but he's not necessarily a starter. So he would be a crucial rotation player, and you need to play pay him as such. It really depends on the role that he's getting and on the team specifically. But I mean, I wouldn't pay over eight million a year for him, um, and I wouldn't pay him long term either. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's like a two year, sixteen million dollar deal, yeah, I could get behind that theoretically. Yeah. I, would I want it to be less? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the perfect would would be something along the lines that Montrezl Harrell got. Like, yeah. $6 million a year. Like, that would be perfectly fine. I, I, Harrell is obviously grossly underpaid, but you catch my drift here. <laughs> right, uh, right. But, but I will say as much. When you bring up, like, five teams, like, Marcus, Mar- Marcus Morris is expected to receive interest from, you know, five different teams, yada, yada, yada. That smells to me like an agent. Yeah. Basically just shoving things off to shams going hey help me out here a bit 
just right. mentioned that yeah. there's interesting interests for like five different teams. Teams that all have a lot of cap space this summer too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That that just this smells like a little bit of of agent work. Yes. For me. I would agree. Oh, like when he referred to Cam Birch as one of the top young backup centers in the league, even though Cam Birch is 27. Yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of agent lacings in this one for sure. Um, apparently, D'Angelo Russell, a market is forming for him. Aside from Brooklyn, Utah, Orlando, Minnesota, and Indiana are among the teams expected to show an interest. Any of those Utah. teams, yeah, I was gonna say any of those teams stand out as a favorite destination yeah. if he does leave Brooklyn. I, I would love Utah. Just look. Yeah. Here's the thing: that backcourt would be horrible defensively. Like D'Angelo <laughs> so Russell and Donovan Mitchell defensively would be bad, and, yeah. and and that's and that's with me saying that I do think that Mitchell will actually end up a plus defender. But but Russell is just not good defensively. Right. But offensively, man. Oh my god, they would be so much fun to watch. And they would still have Rudy Gobert kind of handling the mo- most of the defensive assignments. Like, you yeah. would still be able to produce some sort of elite defense just by him swatting everything within 10 feet of the basket. I, I mean, this this team might actually, with a, a Russell and Mitchell backcourt, they, they might actually be potent offensively for the first time in what feels like the Carmelone and oh okay Darren Williams and and Carlos Boozer era. Yeah. 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 I love that fit too. I mean it, it feels like they would be constructing their team very similar to how Portland is. It like Russell yep. and Mitchell would be their Damon CJ, Gobert would be their Nurkic. You could argue that you know they they might even be better because they have a Joe Ingles as well and Hopefully Dante Exum can get back and stay healthy. Like, yeah, they'd be a really fun. Oh, you are never selling stock with, with Exum? Dante Exum, are you? Yeah. No, I believe one year he's going to be healthy and good. I mean, okay, I, I, I look. I hope you're right. Let me just point <laughs> that out immediately. I hope you're yeah. right, but I'm also very concerned that when you retire, you'll look at those stocks and you'll just go, "Should have." I know. Yeah, I already bailed on my Markel Fultz stock. I've got a. Still, still stay with one perpetually injured guy. Uh, yeah, I have more belief that Markel Fultz is going to turn around than Dante Exum. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the The odds are not great for either of them, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. The Hornets and Kemba Walker apparently both have each other as top priorities entering July first. Walker told it's Jared, a romance. Yeah, he told Jared Weiss of the Athletic that the Hornets remain his first priority. We talked about them recently in the All-NBA episode, so you can go back and listen to that about whether yep. we think the Hornets should offer him a max deal, a super or max deal. Or you can deal. go read my article about it on Forbes as well, where I put up the super max against the repeater tax. All right, right. So yeah. more, let's wrap up with more Lakers, because again, it would not be a off-season episode if we didn't talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome to the Lakers podcast show, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Locked on Lakers part two. Yep. Um, Bill Plaschke of the Los Angeles Times in an appearance on ESPN LA said, I'm hearing that if they whiff on free agency and they whiff on a trade, which I don't know how likely that is, but if that happens, they've got big trouble with LeBron. Why would LeBron 
I mean, the LeBron era could be over before it starts here. I heard this for the first time yesterday. Somebody very connected said, you know what? If they whiff, LeBron's going to say either I'm out of here or get me out of here, or the Lakers better just might as well just get him out of here. <sighs> yeah. So so do you want to do it or should I do it? But <laughs> which part? Explain. Oh, you, you just be my yeah. guest. All right. So let's start with the basics, shall we? The whole wanting out can be translated into something else, which is the only thing applicable. LeBron can ask for a trade. Right. LeBron can't leave. He's under contract. This is not a season where he has a player option or an early termination option. He is under contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. He cannot play for any other NBA franchise or international franchise while under the uniform contract of the NBA. So LeBron, as much as this you know wording has been thrown around, he might leave. Guess what? He can't unless he doesn't want to play in the NBA next season. So let's get rid of the whole leaving aspect and replace that with rec- re- uh, demanding a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Although, that's, that's for all we it, know, I mean, he might not want to play in the NBA next year. Maybe he just wants to make more movies because that's the reason he went to the Lakers in the first place. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I knew it. I just don't nope. feel bad for the guy. Like, I get it. I get why you went to the Lakers. Make your family happy. You want your kid to go to that, you know, where all of the top prep kids go. I get it. Sierra Canyon, I think the school is called. That's cool. But now, like, don't play dumb and be like, oh, man, it's so bad here. You had your choice last summer. Now deal with the consequences. Yeah, you signed up for a turd show, and that's what you yeah, got. Yeah, right. And I mean, yeah, sure, you could force the Lakers to trade for Chris Paul. Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed, friend. Like, yeah. I, I don't think they're going to get any of the major free agents. I could be wrong, but I just don't know. You know, I, I've been writing these, like, free agent slideshows for fansided about, like, potential destinations for these big guys, and every time I come back to... They don't have an appealing pitch. It's just yep. LeBron and young kids and a lot of dysfunction. And I don't know why you choose yeah. that over a team like the Clippers or the Nets or even the Knicks. If you're, you know, if you're really intent on like teaming up with a second superstar, at least the Knicks have two max slots available. So I'm glad you just brought up the Nets because we we just talked about Russell. Uh, yeah. you know, and 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 Utah. While we were talking here, we actually just got a question, or I got a question from one of my friends, and I think it's interesting, and I think okay. you should answer it. Okay. He's asking, could the Brooklyn Nets actually let Russell D'Angelo Russell leave if they land Kyrie? Well, so and I think they need to relinquish or or uh, rescind his his uh, qualifying offer and actually not they they have to renounce him right to make enough room for Kyrie yeah i haven't looked this is just off the top of my head or do they, they have enough as is they are with D'Angelo Russell's cap hold they are at thir- they have 30.35 million in cap space so Kyrie's um his his full max salary starts at 32.7 million 
they could just trade the number 17 pick and that probably gets them right there or like close mm-hmm. enough in the ballpark. So they're not far off and they could theoretically I saw there's a report from Anthony Puccio of SNY that said Kyrie is apparently interested in the Nets. You know, he's a New Jersey native. Um, and if the Nets dream would be to sign Kyrie plus a second star free agent, but they are open to an Irving D'Angelo Russell pairing. I think the Nets thing is interesting because if you renounce Russell and salary damp dump Alan Crabb somewhere, now you're getting to the point where you could feasibly offer two max contracts. So that's, I think, yeah. that's probably where the Nets come into play. But yeah, I mean, they, they can realistically come very close to offering a full max. Like, it would not take very much work if they really just wanted to get rid of the number 17 pick. That yeah, they're, so basically they're going to hang on to Russell either way and then move him later on if that's the case. Yeah, they'll they'll at least keep his cap hold on the books. And again, since he's restricted, you can't sign him until July 6th anyway. So right. most of the top free agents, I assume, are going to make their decision by then. So like by the time they're really at a point where they need to make all the math work, they should know whether Kyrie is realistic or not for them. But that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it was because I raised the point on Facebook about, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Utah pairing. And obviously yeah. that intrigued a couple of people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good place to wrap up, Mort. So I think yep. as of now, we're, we'll probably record after game four. So it, I hope everyone enjoys these next two games. Root for no more injuries. Injuries suck. It's yep. not fun at this time of year. Uh, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles as well. You can also find us on iTunes. So please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. It would really help us out. And we are also being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. Take care, man. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.